Man, she can sing, can't she? Well, uh, welcome to Horizon. We are glad to see you. My name is Ryan. I direct the family ministry here. And uh, what a way to start our time with a classic from the great American poet, John Bon Jovi, right? And old John Bon, he can do an amazing job of tying words together um, to create this picture of these seasons of our life. And in that song, Living on a Prayer, um, it really makes me think of living on a prayer in the sense of like a Hail Mary pass at the end of a football game, just chucking that sucker down there and crossing your fingers. Um, and, and though that makes for exciting football to watch, um, it doesn't make for the most enjoyable life to live. So uh, my question is, is it, could it be possible to go from living on a prayer with God in the most desperate sense of the way uh, to, to living on a prayer with God in an everyday fashion? Um, sort of the difference between only calling your dad when you're out of money and your car's broken down um, to calling your dad every day and, and talking about everything. Well, I think the second case is possible, but it's going to take, like any good relationship, it's going to take a little time. It's going to take a little intentional focus and, and maybe even a little practice. Okay, and as I think of those, those three phrases, time and intentional focus and practice, I think of the amazing folks behind us that every week put on music from like every genre you could imagine. I mean, holy cow. I mean, you've got the Beatles, Tina Turner, you've got everything. John Mayer some weeks, Kenny. Um, it's pretty cool. I mean, you guys are really good. I know you probably know that, but... Um, as you think about it, Kenny and, and Dave and Neil, like, how many hours does it take to, like, do what you guys do, you know, on a weekly basis? I mean, take us behind the scenes. 15, 20 minutes. 15, 20 minutes? Yeah. Okay. You know, it depends. We all have to practice individually and get ready for rehearsal. And we rehearse here on uh, uh, Tuesday nights for a couple hours as a band. And yeah. then, uh, we listen to ourselves and go, ah. And we go back and practice more. And we come back and we do it. But, you know, over the years... You know, I've been at this, you know, 40 plus, so, you know. Yeah, which seems impossible because, I mean, you don't look a day over 30. Yeah. Um, but collectively, <laughs> our team, we'll just call them seasoned, right? Yeah. They have a lot They're of... band years is what we like to call them. They're band years, <laughs> so we're very old inside. Yeah. So, Kenny, tell me if I'm wrong, but the Internet told me this. So I think it's true. <laughs> um, that guys like you and gals, you know, um, that with only like four chords... You can play almost every song that's ever been written. Kind of, sort of, yeah. I mean, if you just spend the time to learn four, four chords or so, you can play hundreds and hundreds of songs. Sweet. You really can. Could you, could you do it? I don't know. Dave, come on. Uh, let's go. D, uh, you know. Let's go. A, just going to step minor, aside. G. Let's do that. Pick one. How about Journey? She will. 
times of trouble, Mother Mary comes to me. Sometimes I feel like I don't have a partner. No woman will cry. Yeah, Mama, this surely is a dream. I come from a land down under. When I come around, it's gonna take a lot to drag me away from you. There's nothing that a hundred men or more could ever do. With or without you. Without you, it's too late to apologize. It's too late. It's my life. It's now or never. I ain't gonna live forever. Don't stop believing. Hold on to that. going but you know I it's would already like getting that. obnoxious so we'll quit there <laughs> i would like that but you guys have been working for a few hours already today so i'm gonna let you go but nice Thanks, job man. that was amazing um well how incredible that by only focusing and mastering a few basic chords they're able to play all of that music like that's pretty cool it makes it seem so easy. Like, I could be as cool as Kenny if I could just learn how to play like a G, a C, and a D. Um, well, of course we know I'm never going to be as cool as Kenny. I could live to be the age of 100, and it's still not going to happen. Um, and they also have spent, as Kenny shared, like thousands of hours mastering those four or five basic chords that they play. Um, but the concept, I wonder, could the concept be true of life? Could we grow in better tune with God and the people we love the most by simply focusing on and mastering a few key concepts? Well, we think we can. And in this series in tune that we've been in, every week we've taken one word, um, and these are deep words that are age-old and have a lot of weight and meaning to them. Um, words like grace and honor and submission. And we've taken that word and we've held it up like a tuning fork. And we've looked for ways that it could help us bring the song of our life um, in, into better tune, if you will. Um, and, and this week, friends, you are here on a good week, okay? Because we're going to go to the language vault. Okay, I'm going to put in the code. We're going to crack open the old language vault and pull out a word. And it is a kind of a dusty word, okay? We don't use it real often, so we're going to dust it off, and we're going to see what it has for us, all right? Um, and the word is forbearance. Forbearance. Yes, I'm serious. Um, <laughs> um, and, and normally when we hear the word forbearance, we're thinking maybe student loans or my mortgage. Like, um, that typically in financial terms, it means like an entity will kind of withhold exercising their right to collect money for a while. Um, but today, I don't know if you know this, that forbearance, long before Sally Mae sunk their claws into it, um, forbearance was a word that we see all over the Bible. It's all over the Bible. And we're going to define it here, okay, from the Bible. And the Bible defines forbearance as practicing powerful, patient restraint. Powerful and patient restraint. And we see it all over the Bible, Okay, and typically we see it in terms of God's character. 
All right, and think about this, okay? God is like the inventor of forbearance, right? Like powerful restraint, like he's the maestro of it. He wins the gold medal every Olympics at forbearance because think about it, God is all-powerful, all-knowing, almighty. He's sort of got it going on, okay? He's, he's a big deal, and he is interacting in the lives of guys like me. <laughs> I mean, he's got to feel like Mozart watching Kid Rock, you know, like write music on a McDonald's napkin, right? Like that's the difference as God watches my life. He's got to be showing so much restraint. I don't know if God has hair or not, but he's got to be wanting to pull his hair out at times um, as he interacts with me. But what we're going to find, friends, is that God, anytime that he lists the characteristics of who he is, this idea of forbearance and long-suffering, he always includes in the list. Almost every single time. So, so let me give you an example, all right? Um, think, of, think about Easter, all right? Maybe you're flipping channels at Easter, day before, and um, you're, you're always going to come across the great Charlton Heston, right? And what movie is Charlton Heston in around Easter? Anybody remember? Ten Commandments, right? He's like, Pharaoh, let my people go. You know, and we all flip there, and then we're like, hey, I don't got seven hours to invest, and, you know, we keep flipping. Um, well, the Ten Commandments is the telling of an account from Scripture where God rescues his people from 400-plus years of slavery, that he saves them from Egypt through a series of plagues on Egypt, a series of these huge miracles like parting the Red Sea. Um, and as the story unfolds, what happens is a guy named Moses is leading the Israelites across the desert, and they're heading towards their new land. Okay, and three months in, all right, get this, three months into the journey, um, the Israelites start getting a little squirrely, all right? And Moses keeps going up on the mountain to talk to God, like whatever that means. That guy's crazy, maybe he's talking to God. He's up on the mountain. And they start wondering, well, where's, where is God after all? You know, it's been three months since he's done this Red Sea thing. You know, and they're going a little bit of Janet Jackson, like, what have you done for me lately? You know, and they're, they're getting a little scared. Well, where is God? We haven't seen him. You know, and they're biting their nails. They're looking at their watches if they had them. And, and they get so squirrely and so fearful that as we do as humans, they say, hey, you know what? We're going to take this into our own hands. <laughs> All right? We're no dummies. Okay, everybody bring your gold. So they're pulling off their earrings, you know, their bracelets. You know, wherever they have gold, their fillings. And they melt all the gold down, okay, and they make their own god. I mean, how genius. This god will do what we tell it to. And they, they make Bessie. It's a golden calf. And they put Bessie in the middle of the camp. And they start throwing the, the world's first Lollapalooza. I mean, it is crazy dancing, singing, and they're all chanting, thank you, Bessie, you have saved us from Egypt. They're literally saying, this golden calf that yesterday was my earring saved us from Egypt three months ago. <laughs> thank you, you know. And, and meanwhile, back at the ranch, God is up on Mount Sinai and he's watching this. And, and just imagine being God. Like, he's got to be like, are you kidding me? Like, I just parted the Red Sea. Like, none of those miracles I did were like tiny little miracles. It wasn't like, ooh, a shooting star. I wonder if that's God. I mean, it was like you walked across almost an ocean. Like, how have you forgotten already? Like, think of the, the anger you would feel. Um, so God sends Moses down. Moses kind of deals with a little bit of what's going on there. Um, and then God calls Moses back. 
And imagine you're Moses, okay? So you're walking back up the mountain. You know, you're like, oh, this could end pretty badly, <laughs> you know. And, um, you know, Moses is kind of not sure what God's going to do here. And God is going to tell Moses something here. He's going to give Moses his, his LinkedIn headline, if you will. <laughs> He's going to say, hey, Moses, there are consequences for what happened. And truth be told, as you read it, some people were given the chance to like, hey, can you can keep serving Bessie or you can serve God. And some people are like, hey, we're, we're fine not serving God. Um, and they've paid some consequences. But what God's going to tell Moses is, hey, here's, here's again my profile. Here's what I'm about, Moses. I'm going to tell you what makes me God. Um, and he answers Moses in this way in Exodus. He says, the Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious long-suffering and abounding in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. So God is going to say, hey, look, I am merciful, I'm forgiving, I'm good, I'm gracious. And then that word there, long-suffering, you see that word? In the Hebrew, that word gets kind of translated two ways into our modern Bible. Sometimes it's translated as long-suffering, and other times it's translated as forbearance. And it's interesting, the original two words in Hebrew are this. They're erek apayim. And they actually mean long of the nose. So God is telling Moses, hey Moses, I am long of the nose. And it's kind of intriguing. Like, you know, in our vernacular, long of the nose means you're a liar. <laughs> Right, Pinocchio. So is God telling Moses, like, hey, Moses, I'm a liar. Don't tell anybody. Um, well, no. In the, the Hebrew culture, this concept of long of the nose applied to anger and fury. Have you ever seen somebody really mad? Like, think of the airport. <laughs> like, a flight gets canceled. You know, and they're banging on the table of this poor woman who has no control over the situation. Um, and their face is scrunching up and their eyes are bulging. And their face gets so red that the redness even comes all the way out onto the tip of their nose. Well, God is saying to Moses, hey, Moses, I have a long nose. It takes a long time for that fuse to get ignited, for my fury to explode. I'm long-nosed. That God is the master of this idea of powerful, patient restraint. And what's really cool is the why. Okay, so later in the Bible, um, in Romans, a guy named Paul tells us this. He says, or, or do you despise the riches of his goodness, forbearance, and long-suffering? So he's in conversation and he's saying, hey, does it bother you that God is so forgiving? That he doesn't just drop the hammer like you might, you know. Because um, sometimes it bothers us when, like, God doesn't judge those people. You know, not us. He can be as forgiving with me as he wants to, but, like, them. Um, so Paul's saying, hey, do you despise that? Does that drive you nuts? Not knowing that the goodness of God leads you to repentance. That, guys, out of all the attributes of God, again, that he's all-powerful, he's all-knowing, all of those attributes, you know the one that draws us to him? Forbearance. It's his, it's his kindness. It's his goodness. That we are drawn to God by the, the goodness of God. 
that if he was just always all about his power, like that would scare us to death, right? And if it was always just about God's anger, then we would just be crushed under the weight of that. But the thing that draws us to him is his goodness. And what we're going to find today is that forbearance, this idea of powerful, patient restraint, um, it always pays dividends. That for God, forbearance pays the dividend of our heart. It draws us to him. And for us, we can practice forbearance too. And it's always going to pay a dividend in our life when we practice powerful, patient restraint. Okay, and the first dividend is this. It gives us the ability to withhold judgment, all right? And I know judgment isn't always bad, right? You're driving down 275 and some guy's driving like an idiot. So you're like, I'm going to just back away from him before somebody dies. And you slow down, you know, you make that judgment. Uh, but often for me, it's more like practicing judgment, like declaring it or, you know, making a ruling. So think of like your time on social media, right? <laughs> you're scrolling through your feed, you know, and you're like, oh my gosh, I can't believe like he would wear that. Does he know how old he is? You know, and you're scrolling through your feed and you're like, they vacation there, <laughs> you know, or the other side of the coin, they're on vacation again. Like, do they ever work, you know, and you just dull judgment out. It's so tempting and it scratches the itch for a moment, right? Um, but I love the Theodore Roosevelt quote. It says that comparison is the thief of joy. And anytime we're making a judgment on somebody's character and we're passing judgment, Right? This person's lazy. This person, can't believe they voted for him. They're an idiot. You know, we're comparing. Well, I'm better. And long term, that steals our joy. Well, as you know, in this series, we've been looking at um, this area of music. All right? You're not going to get to see me try to draw now. It's going to be amazing. Um, so I'm going to draw us a little... Staff there. We're going to put some bars in there. How about that? There you go. All right. And uh, if you learn to read music, right, or took music theory in school, you know, they always teach you, um, you know, each of these lines represent a note, and even the spaces represent a note. So they teach you these mnemonic devices, right, if you've been there. Um, so I'm going to label these for us, okay, and I'm sure this is what your teacher taught you. Um, every gorilla buys duct tape. Right? Yeah, you, you didn't get taught that one? <laughs> no, okay. Um, so that's the lines. We got an E, a G, a B, a D, and an F. And then the spaces, similarly rememberable for you, I'm sure, is uh, ferocious aardvarks chase elephants. Right? I mean, super easy to remember, sticks in your head, right? No, that's not what they teach, in case you're wondering. <laughs> um, but a few weeks ago, we're at lunch, okay, my family. And uh, the server comes out, and it takes a little longer than I would have liked, you know, and she's not quite as happy to see us. I mean, imagine that. We have four children who are about to make a huge mess, but she's not super stoked about it. Um, so initially, I'm kind of like, eh, you know, she's kind of like a B server, I would say. You know, there's my B note. You know, maybe she'll pull out of this. Maybe she'll bump it up to an A before the end of the meal. Um, but she comes and she takes our drink orders and she doesn't write it down, right? And I don't know about you, but that always drives me nuts because I'm like, just write it down. Um, well, she comes back and guess what? She forgot a drink, right? So I'm like, oh my goodness. You know, this lady is more of like a C server now, 
I mean, she forgot our water. You know, maybe she picked like the wrong career path. She's like 10 or 15 years older than me, so it might be a little late to fix that. But, you know, maybe she's just not the best waitress and she takes her appetizer order and comes back with the fried pickles, which are delish, delicious, by the way. Um, and of course, there's no water. <laughs> there's still no water. I don't even remember who was waiting on it. It was one of my kids or my mother-in-law, whoever. They're waiting on a water still. And, and by now, I'm like, she's a D, right? Like maybe, maybe she's like, bad work ethic like maybe she's back there scrolling through her social media feed when she should be thinking about my water um and of course I don't say that out loud because you know I'm a polite jerk um (laughs) I'm just thinking it you know and and then she comes back with our food and you guessed it (laughs) you guessed it there's still no water and I'm like you know what lady like internally I have you pegged like bullseye like you're an f server Right? Like maybe, and again, this is all quiet on the download and Ryan's sinful brain. Maybe you're just lazy, you know? Because there's lazy people, right? We know them. Until she shares this tidbit of information with us. She says, oh, I'm so sorry about the water. You know, uh, two days ago, I was at my other job pulling carpet out of old trailers <laughs> and I hurt my back. And I've been on pain meds for like two days and I could have been off today here at my other job. but I need the money. I need to work. And immediately I'm like, I'm the worst person on earth, right? I'm sitting here thinking she's lazy, doesn't have work ethic. She has two jobs, right? Like she's working twice as hard as me. Well, that's what happens when we pass judgment without all of the information. There's a Walt Whitman quote that says, be curious, not judgmental. That like, what would have happened if I would have thought, well, I wonder why she's limping around with our food. Um, being curious instead of judgmental is possibly a first step. But you can take this concept of forbearance, powerful, patient restraint, and apply it to this idea of judging people. So when it's not my business to make a judgment, when it's none of my business, when I'm not an expert in that field... Because truth be told, I was a server for a month in college before I got fired because I was bad at it. Um, I'm just going to keep my mouth shut, right? Like, wouldn't that be a, maybe a wiser way to go? Well, because God has such a long nose with us and his judgment, we can have a long nose with other people. So before I give you the second dividend, I want you to do a little exercise with me here, Okay. I want you to think of a time in your life where you totally messed up. (laughs) Can you think of a time where you blew it? Like maybe it was like a bad investment. Maybe you said something or emailed something that you like regretted immediately. Maybe it was like a bad purchase where you come home from work and you're like, honey, I bought a jet ski. (laughs) See? (laughs) Um, I don't know what it is, but think of that one or two or 12 or 30 things in your life where you've totally blown it. Um, And then I want to ask you this question. Did it ever involve patience? (laughs) Because for me, the times in my life where I totally messed up, it rarely involves patience. And patience is the second dividend that this practice of powerful and patient restraint can pay in our lives. And we would all say, yeah, patience is a virtue, it's amazing, kids, you should be more patient, right? But then we also know the phrase, I want it now, (laughs) right? 
And we also love the phrase, ready, fire, aim. Maybe I'll aim, I'll just fire. You know, what the hey. Um, And how that lives out in our lives can often look like this. Maybe it's your career. You know, you're like, you're in your career. You, you want things to speed up. Man, I'm just tired of being here. I want to get to here. Um, you know, and, and instead you hit arrest. Right? And you're like, no, not arrest. I want to go. I don't want to stop. I, I want to go. I want to get there. You know, I've been at this company for three months. And the fact that I'm not the CEO just blows my mind. Like, who do I talk to about that? Right? Or maybe it's your romantic life, right? You're like in your 20s. And you're like, I just wish like the universe would just bring me that Mr. Right or, you know, Mrs. Right. Like right now, you know, I'm like going to die single and alone. I'm 23 years old. Um, and, and instead you hit a rest. And you're like, oh, no, more waiting. Oh, it's so hard to wait. Or maybe it's your marriage. And you're in a tough season. You know, and you're like, oh, I just got to put my head down and just get through this. You know, we're just going to run through this, like finishing a workout or finishing my taxes. I'm just going to put my head down and just plow ahead here in our relationship. And, and instead, what you really need is a rest. Right? What you really need is to hit the pause button and, and talk. But it's so hard, right? Like we all know that food from a crock pot tastes better than food from a microwave. But it's so hard to wait. You know, so sometimes we settle. We settle for the microwave popcorn over something we could make in the crock pot. There's a great quote by Jean-Jacques Rousse that says, Patience is bitter, but its fruit is sweet. Patience is bitter, but its fruit is sweet. In 2001, a company was formed called MailChimp. Anybody ever heard of MailChimp? Um, 20 years later, MailChimp now sends 1 billion, with a B, emails a day. A billion emails go through their marketing and email platform a day. We can thank them for our junk folders. Um, So huge company, started by two guys. It's like a a side hustle. Um, But did you know... That for 17 years of their 20-year existence, MailChimp did not turn a profit. (laughs) Took them 17 years to reach profitability. For 17 years, they patiently turned away investor money that came with some, like, changes to their vision and direction. So they said, thanks, but no thanks. We're going to keep steady as we go. For 17 years, they passed up buyout offer after buyout offer. That would have made them multi-millionaires with just a signature. I said, thanks, but we're going to keep moving. For 17 years, they, they patiently refined their product, investigated the market and how it was changing, defined their why. And today, 20 years into the story of their company, their gross annual revenue this year will be over $700 million. I mean, think about the 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 dividend that forbearance paid in their life, that they practiced powerful, patient restraint. And in the moment, it was bitter. But in the end, it was sweet. And as I think of this dividend of patience, I think of the life of Jesus. 
Okay, imagine being Jesus, all right? You're God, you allow yourself to be born in flesh and man in this stinky world, you know, in a time where deodorant didn't exist. I mean, it would just been a rough existence, okay? And for 30 years, Jesus keeps the cat in the bag about why he's there, right? Like his mom and dad probably started to pick up some little inklings, you know, because he was God. Um, but for 30 years, he doesn't really tell people what he's about. Friends, the life expectancy then was 35 years, so he's 85, 90% into this journey of being a man on earth. And he finally begins kind of telling people why he's there. Like, hey, I'm God. I'm here to save you. Jesus, hey, what's up? Um, and initially, even within a few months, the people started hearing that. They're like, hey, Jesus, let's go overthrow the Romans. Let's do all this. Let's do this, this. And Jesus, over and over again, here's what he would say. He would say, hey, friends, my time hasn't come yet. Like, me and the Father, we're like on this schedule. It's not quite time. Uh, we just got to be patient. That, that guy's Jesus oozed patience. It just <laughs> oozed out of him in the way he interacted with people, in the way he followed the timeline that was set before he was even born. He was all about the long game. And I love the fact that at Horizon, we're about the long game. That hopefully you never feel a fire sale pitch from the stage. Um, that we are about patience and the, the long game. That, that God moves over time. And as I think of this idea of patience, I think of my team. Okay, So I have the distinct honor of directing the family ministry team. And it is a talented group of people. Um, paid and volunteer alike. It's, a, it's an amazing group. And maybe some of you are on that as volunteers um, but when I think of my team, I think of Sierra and Tammy, okay, and, and the patience they show in E-Station. That I'll see them get down on their knees to get on the same level with a child and talk eye to eye. And, and let me tell you, it gets harder to get down on your knees <laughs> as you get older. Um, and then I think of Ellen and Brad with our middle school students, our fifth to eighth graders. And that is a rough time of life. I mean, remember being 12, 13, like puberty, just all the craziness. And Brad and Ellen do an amazing job of patiently engaging in the lives of our 5th, 6th, and 7th, and 8th graders. And then I watch Zach with our high school students. And high school can be the worst four years of your life. I know not for all of us, but I think there's a reason that only wars and high school have reunions, right? Because <laughs> they're both traumatic. And I watch Zach just patiently engage in the lives of our students. And it's a beautiful thing. And you know what? Since I'm on this stage today, I'm going to shoot my shot. And I'm going to say, hey, I would love for you guys to consider joining them. Right? Like, what would it look like for you to cash out this forbearance in your life with a dividend of patience in the lives of a, a child in East Station? Or a, a goofy, awkward seventh grader? You know, or a high schooler who's going through the angst of high school? You know, that one patient adult can make a huge difference in the lives of our children and students. So I encourage you to think about that. And before we go to our third dividend, um, I'm going to, I bet you can guess my favorite movie from one word. You think so? You guys up for this? Nobody's shaking, so. You think, okay. All right, here you go. You ready? Adrian! All right, what's my favorite movie? Rocky, right? Like Rocky won, mind you. All the other Rockies like significantly got worse and worse over time. Um, well, Rocky won is this amazing story of one man's perseverance 
from being a poor guy born in Philadelphia and he perseveres through so much drama in his life to become the best version of himself. And he doesn't even win the fight in the end of the movie and it's still awesome, right? Because it just resonates with us that this idea of persevering is written into our DNA. In 2006, a, a researcher at the University of Pennsylvania named Angela Duckworth started a study with 11,000 incoming West Point cadets, okay, 11,000 of them. And she wanted to find out, like, is there one factor that can predict their future financial success and their future self-rankings and happiness? And she studied all kinds of stuff. She looked at their socioeconomics, their backgrounds, their gender, their religion, their IQ, their EQ, she studied it all. And it all came down in her mind to one word that she defines this way. And you can see it up there behind me. It's grit is a distinct combination of passion, resilience, determination, and focus that allows a person to maintain the discipline and optimism to persevere in their goals, even in the face of discomfort, rejection, and a lack of visible progress for years or even decades. That she found grit more than IQ, EQ, family background, wealth, poverty, whatever, that grit was the number one factor that would determine where they wound up. And this, this study went on for over a decade. Um, grit. And really what grit is, or perseverance is, if you've ever played the piano, you might be familiar with this. It's really the ability to sustain, right? Sometimes you get a, uh, a note and it's got to be sustained. My bad chalk drawing there. That, that it, it carries on through a few bars of the song. Maybe your other hand's doing other things, but this note is sustaining. That grit, perseverance, is this ability to sustain through the hard times of life. And friends, it's hard. It's hard to sustain, isn't it? If you've lived, if you're past the age of 10, you're already learning it's hard to persevere. It is hard to sustain when you're a young parent and you're just buried in diapers and formula and sleepless nights and you're like, I just want to give up. And you think forbearance, okay. Practice, powerful, restraint. I'm going to keep moving, keep putting one foot in front of the other. You know, it, it's hard to sustain through an illness, right? Like we had the, uh, the privilege of being caretakers for my dad the last few years of his life as he battled cancer. And it, he sustained through that. And, and then we had to sustain through that as caregivers. And it's, it's hard. But this concept from the Bible of forbearance, this powerful patient restraint, can allow you to have perseverance and to sustain through those hard seasons of life. And, and here's the, the best news, is that though we might not be the best at sustaining or persevering, <laughs> I kind of stink at it. I got lots of projects I start at home that I never finish. Um, God is the maestro at persevering and sustaining and if you remember earlier, I told you why God really focuses on forbearance um, as his, his attribute, because his goodness draws us to him. Let me finish here by reading you 
which one of our favorite verses, Becky and I, it's in Psalms and it says this. It says, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all of the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. That friends, not only is God's goodness, his forbearance, his kindness, his forgiveness, the thing that draws us to him. Did you know it's been chasing you your whole life? (laughs) That God's goodness is pursuing you. encourage you to to look for it look for the ways that God's wooing your heart let me pray for us Um, God thank you for today thank you for the folks in this room the men and women the boys and girls that that you know each of them by name I, I thank you that you are a gritty God as sacrilegious as that sounds that you are a God who perseveres in your love of us and your pursuit of us Um, and I just pray that you would help us to uh, be drawn to your kindness help us to practice this this idea of forbearance in our lives and reap the benefits in your name amen well I want to thank you for being here today Um, two quick announcements if you ever want to just talk to somebody, figure out, you know, why does Horizon do this? Or how's Chad so handsome? You know, all of those questions that are always burning in our hearts. Um, You can always stop by the hearth room, which is the third door on the left. That's the first announcement. Um, Second announcement is six days from today is family fun night. All right. And I know you guys saw like an Academy Award winning video about that by this even handsomer man than Chad a few weeks ago. Um, But that is next Saturday night. It's 6 to 8 p.m. There's food trucks. There's a car show. We are going to hit floating golf balls into the pond behind Horizon at a floating green. Nonetheless, Wayne, I'm going to take you on in that. Um, It is going to be a ton of fun. And it's just a way to really end our summer and and really kick off the school year together. Um, And the best part, it's all complimentary. So just come out and eat with your family, hang out with us. Um, We would ask that you would sign up just so we know just how many food trucks to get. And you can do that on our website. So thanks for being here today and have a great weekend.